Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. buzzed, so I hope that's going to work. All right, how are you all today? Doing all right? Did you enjoy the windy day yesterday? Um, I used to work with a crusty old bloke and he would say, it's been so windy it'll blow a brown dog off its chain. Just, I love Australian colloquialisms. Another one is I'll blow, blow the milk out of your tea or blow the spots off a Dalmatian. So today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, and we're looking to see whether God has a plan for our lives. So, and particularly after I've been saved, does God have something for me to do? Does he have something to do? What do you think? What does that look like? And I would guarantee that there's people here today that think that uh, it's all set out, it's all mapped out, we just have to walk into it, it's there. And then there'll be people here today that will think that Uh, I'm master of my own destiny and whatever happens in my life, I'm going to make happen. So we sort of sit somewhere on that spectrum. We're going to work through that today. Has anybody ever thought uh, why God doesn't take us straight to heaven after we're saved? Would save a lot of problems, wouldn't it? You know, we would have to worry about backsliding or temptation or difficulties, you know, if God would just take us straight to heaven after we're saved. Um, this is my family about 25 years ago. A bit of context. Um, my mum and dad were missionaries in the Northern Territory. They married late in life. Um, physically, my mum wasn't meant to have any kids, so they adopted three Aboriginal children on their way back to, uh, off the mission field, back to rural Victoria. And um, this is about 25 years ago. I'm the beardless youth standing behind my dad there with brown hair. And... Uh, Beside my dad, to the the far side there, is my eldest sister, Patricia. And Patricia was creative, warm, funny, a a joy to be around. She was adopted. She was the oldest. She was about seven when she was adopted. And um, by the time she was adopted at seven, she already had lived a pretty rough life. So a lot of awful things had happened to Trish before she was adopted. And then um, she came and was adopted by mum and dad, and she lived at home till she was about 16, in which she took off and lived a pretty rough life after that. So she, she knew about God because my parents and my dad would pray every day for her, um, and, but she lived a pretty rough life, and she was in rebellion against God. And um, in about 2005, her lifestyle had caught up with her, she had um, advanced diabetes, she was on regular dialysis, but she was still living a rough life even though she was on that dialysis. And one night she turned up at my other sister, who was the, the, the quieter, calmer sister, place Alison, who's in the middle there, and um, turned up just to spend some time with my other sister, Alison. And my sister was going to a church at the time and was friends with the pastor, and he felt God really clearly said, go and see Alison tonight. So off he went obediently and went to see Alison and, and there was Trish. 
and they talked into the night and as a result of them talking and, and that discussion, um, Trish gave her heart back to God. So she committed her life back to God and it was a, it was a miracle that that had happened and he was responsive to God. But then later that night, my sister died. So, which was sad, really sad. But the amazing thing about that story is that God knew exactly where she would be, exactly what time, and God's grace was amazing. We were sad that she left us, but we're also really grateful that she got to hear the gospel again, that she was saved, and God took her before she could get messed up again. So we were just really grateful for that. So I am 100% convinced that God takes you home when you are meant to go home. I'm 100% convinced of that. So if God has not taken you home yet, there is a reason why you are here. So let's talk about that reason why you are here today. And we're going to look at that from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. So Paul's in prison. This was one of uh, several letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison to the Ephesians. And so he'd actually lived in Ephesus for a couple of years He'd uh, planted a church there. He'd discipled people. Uh, you might remember there was a riot in Ephesus over the, the great god Diana. So Ephesus was a community that he was really well familiar with, people that he loved and appreciated. And in the build-up to the verses that we're looking at today, he goes through a, a bit of a, a run-up, and it's, first of all, that we are hopelessly lost without God. We're slaves to sin. We can't do anything about it ourselves. He says that God had a plan for our rescue from the beginning of time. So nothing was left to chance. God had a plan for our rescue. And that was through Jesus, who we put at the centre of creation to save us. We were then given the deposit of the Holy Spirit to say, there are better things to come. The Spirit dwells in us. But then he's really clear that we can't do it all ourselves. It's all God. So let's come to verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. So our only part in this whole deal of salvation is faith, is our belief, and even that is a gift from God. So even the belief that we employ to engage with God is a gift from God himself. So there's no formula, no ritual, no anything that I can employ that's going to make my salvation happen. We've been rescued without any contribution from ourselves. This is one of my favourite themes of the gospel, that I am loved unconditionally. I don't have to pretend that I'm a good person that is worthy of salvation, because I'm not. Now, that's not an excuse for bad behaviour, But it does explain a lot of the stupid things that I do that don't turn out well. I'm not a good person. I'm saved by grace. We are not good people. We are saved by grace. Being rescued with nothing expected in return is what makes Christianity unique amongst world religions. Every other religion, you've got to earn your salvation. We don't. Okay, verses... 10. This is where we're going to double down on a bit today. We're going to try and paint a bit of a picture to see what this refers to. So 
we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us today. So this is referring to us after we've been saved. So the work, the handiwork that's being referred to and the, and the creation in Jesus is talking about our recreation or our redemption through Christ, through Jesus. And the words that he used there when it talked about God is a master craftsman, it's like artistry, it's like poetry. He's created you and I as an exquisite piece of work. So you and I are an exquisite piece of work created through God in Christ to do good works which he has prepared beforehand. That he's prepared beforehand. So God has prepared the good works that we are meant to do beforehand. So to me that reads like we are part of God's plan that he's prepared in advance. What's this plan that God has prepared? Well, ultimately, it's God's plan to save the world. All right? Ultimately, it's God's plan to save the world. It's clear from the beginning of the New Testament, starting in Genesis, where God promised Eve that she would crush the head of the serpent, her adversary, and then proceeding through the whole of the New Testament, it's sprinkled with references to God's plan of salvation through Jesus, it's clear that God had a plan from the beginning to save the earth. God has a multi-stage plan. So stage one was the preparation for the coming of the Messiah with the Jewish people. Stage two was Jesus coming to earth and then dying and rising from the dead for our sins. Stage three was him going back to heaven and sending the Holy Spirit to us so that we could participate in stage three. And stage four will be Jesus returning for us. So we're in between. We're in stage three where God is enacting his plan to save the world. So the amazing thing here is that you and I are included in that plan to save the world. So God has prepared ahead of time your and I part in his plan to to save the world. So we're going to look at that in three steps this morning. God's multi-stage plan, three steps. So, And there's really three levels here. There's the plan for the whole of the body of Christ, which we're a part of. There's the part, your part in the body of Christ. And sometimes you get a specific calling and a specific task to participate in that. So you might have, a, have something very specifically God that is called to do in this space. So moving on. Stage one. So the church is Jesus' body or the body of Christ on the earth. So for whatever reason, it's God's chosen method of accomplishing his plan for the earth. It's the church. You and I are the church. We are part of God's plan for accomplishing stage three of God's plan. And Jesus was really clear to the church before he left what our role was. He told us to go into all the earth to make disciples. He told us to love each other, share the gospel, look after the poor. So the mission of the church was really clear in the gospel and then it was fleshed out in the books, the subsequent books of the New Testament. 
So we have a clear purpose. There's no excuse. We don't know what we're here for. God has put us here for a really clear purpose. Victoria Point Baptist Church is part of the bigger church in the world. We're here for a purpose. Side note, there's an increasing body of psychological work that talks about the benefit of having an external purpose in your life. And what psychologists are finding more and more is that if you have an external purpose, something outside of yourself, it's good for your mental health, you live longer, you participate more fully in life. So isn't that amazing? It's the way that God has made us. God has made us for a purpose that is bigger than ourselves. So God has a plan for his church. And then God has a plan for you within his church. All right, so each of us have got gifts and talents. We'll talk about that in a minute. But first Peter, each of you should give, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. So who knows what your gift is? Who knows how God has given you gifts? Has anybody done that in their life? A few people, a few hands. Anybody, you know what God's got, what gifts you've got? So Here's just a short list that we can pull out of the Bible. There's a whole lot of different gifts and talents. Each one of us has been given gifts and talents. Um, the Bible refers to them in various places. And we either get those gifts and talents just through the way God made us to start with, or we get them supernaturally. When we're saved, God can give us special gifts through the Holy Spirit. We all have them. Some of them might be very prominent, I think as Steve Beaumont talked about a couple of weeks ago, some of them might be very hidden, but we all have a place in the church, a purpose in the church, which we are asked to fulfil. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable, and it's the parable of the talents, and it goes like this. It's so, a man goes away on a journey, and that's like Jesus going back to heaven and, and leaving us here in charge of with his plan and he entrusts his servants with talent so it was a monetary talent but it can be applied to the different talents we had and the expectation was those people were to use the talents that they had been given to grow his kingdom in his absence so that's the lesson for today and so Jesus rewarded those people who used their talents to grow his kingdom and punish those who did not we know from Luke 12, much to whom much is given, much is required. So God has given us specific talents. We've all got them to be a part of his church in its overall mission for the world. Beyond that, sometimes God might have a specific call on your life. So there's been times in my life when I felt like God has been talking to me specifically and clearly about a certain task that he wants me to do. And sometimes people get that. They'll get a clear voice from heaven and say, this is what you're meant to do. But we don't always have a really clear, specific thing we're meant to do. But in that case, we can roll back to the overall mission of the church and your place in it. So whether you've got that specific call right now or not, there is always a place for you in the church. And often God will use other people to direct. 
your paths. So we're a pretty individualistic society. We don't like people telling us what to do. That's a bit of a, a, bit of a no-no in our society that we get told what to do. But if you look through the New Testament, there are lots of different examples where the church has set apart men and said, please go and do that. So sometimes it can be someone saying, look, you've got this really good gift and here is a task the shoulder tap that we think you can do. And that's what happened to me when Paul asked me to be a deacon. I wasn't being filled to be uh, called as a deacon, but he tapped me on the shoulder. I prayed about it. Thought, okay, God, that's where you want me to be at this point in time. So hopefully it's clear that God has a, a plan for the church. He's got your part in that plan, your roles, your gifts and talents, and then maybe a specific function within that. So, great. That's pretty good. Thanks, Frank. Um, there is one more thing we need to consider. We get to choose. This is, this, this is the interesting part of this whole place, is that there's God's plan, and God talks about his plan as narrow and few find it and difficult, okay? So there's a narrow path there is a really broad path for all of us in our society today. And that really broad path is really easy to find because if you watch TV for 10 minutes or, or YouTube or whatever, you will get that plan that you are meant to be happy, successful, fulfilled in your career, have the perfect family, go on specific vacations. So that, that plan, that stream is not hard to find. It's all around us. And actually the hard thing is to drag ourselves out of that stream and onto the path that God has for us. Our society wants you to have personal peace, status and affluence. You've got all those things tick. you've done it. It's not God's plan at all. So we have that choice and God does not force us onto his path, okay? God presents us with that choice. And I know in my life, sometimes I've missed that. But God always gives you another opportunity to come back onto his path. In Matthew 7, 24, is the parable of the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And my Sunday school song is playing in my head as we talk. I won't sing it for you. Matthew 7, 24. Jesus told this story. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the stand. So both of those people heard what Jesus was telling them. All those people heard the words of God. The only difference between those two people and the foundation they built was the choice they made. So I very strongly believe that God has a plan and a purpose and he knows what you're going to do in your life. But on the other hand, I also very strongly believe that we have a choice whether we accept that or not. God knows whether you're going to take that choice or not. That's my take on predestination anyway. But we have a choice and it's up to us whether we take that choice or not. So practically, say if God has a plan for his church, for the world, we're part of that plan, 
and sometimes we've got a specific task and we choose to do it. Practically, how do we position ourselves so that we can participate in God's plan for our lives? How do we get onto that path? And I'm just going to suggest three practical things for us to get on that path today. The first one is to reflect. Who's busy? Who's always got something to fill their life up? I think nearly everybody. Has anybody got more spare time than they can poke a stick at? No? Our life is full, isn't it? I think everybody, you know, it's almost that... um, that uh, busyness is next to godliness. So if you ask somebody how they're doing, busy, godly. Okay, that's sort of how we work it out. But anyway, the world is super busy. There's always something to distract you. We're very distractible. I would encourage you that you need time to reflect. You need to carve out some time to ask those hard questions. Hard questions like, am I doing the good works that God has prepared for me? Is this my priority? Am I taking the time to actually look at my life? Because sometimes we get so busy, we're so caught up in that cultural stream that we just forget. And And if we've forgotten, we need to step back, take time and remember again and reprioritize this. Luke 14, it said, Jesus says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. So, and he's talking about our place in the kingdom. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Won't you first sit down and say, God, am I really committed to this plan that you've got for my life? So step number one, reflection, important. Take a bit of time to carve some time out and reflect and ask yourself those questions. Step number two is make the conscious decision to choose that God, that you want to be a part of God's plan for your life. It's a conscious decision and sometimes we just roll along without making those conscious decisions. So choose. The third thing that we can do is actually surround yourselves with other people who are on that journey. The biggest predictor of whether you're going to be on God's path or not will be the people that you surround yourself with, your home group or your friends. Because if they're firmly on God's path, they will encourage you to be firmly on God's path. It's not something we're ever meant to do alone. We're meant to be part of that bigger body. Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how we might spur one another on towards love and and towards good deeds. So surround yourself with people who are on God's path and who will encourage you to be on God's path as well. We need other people in our lives. We need to be in the world. We need to be sharing the gospel. We need to do all of those things. But I would suggest that our closest friends, the people who matter the most to us, should be the people that are encouraging us along our faith journey. So in summary... God knows the exact number of heartbeats that he has allocated to you today. God knows that. And he has a plan for your life. He's got a plan for the world. He's got a plan for the church. He's got a plan for your part in that church. So today, let's take hold of that plan. Engage with the works that he has for us and surround ourselves with people
who will help us move in that path. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your salvation. Lord, thank you that um, you gave that to us. Lord, even before we knew we needed it, we can never earn it, but it's just your gracious gift. We're so grateful for that. Thank you for your plan, Lord. Thank you that you didn't leave us without a plan. Lord, thank you that you want to use us as part of your plan. And I pray this week, Lord, that we would be able to reflect, to choose, and to surround ourselves with people, Lord, who will help us on that plan. So I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.